the best half of 2020 for the Indianapolis Colts. Coming in primetime Thursday night football and now atop the AFC South with the early head-to-head tiebreaker over the Tennessee Titans. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley back in studio. Kevin's corner to close out the week. And man, when you needed it the most, down at half, you know, it had a little bit of a, it wasn't as bad as like 2018 Jags feel, but I'm like, geez, all these missed opportunities inside the red zone and everything turned in the final 20 minutes, man. And that was about as good of a three-unit complimentary football mm-hmm. close to a game on the road, January-type test that you can have and uh, just really changes, changes, I think, a large chunk of the narrative and uh, how we're going to look at this team over the final couple months. Yeah, and it's awesome how you talk about the three phases, how one phase, the special teams, can get that momentum swing back to you and just almost give energy back to both the offense and the defense that had played fairly well for most of the game, some conversion issues there, but those big plays really just putting a spark back into the rest of your team. You know, it's funny, Chris, When uh, and thank you to everyone that tuned into Beers with Bowen on Wednesday night. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I know we had a little bit of technical issues with YouTube going down, but uh, thank you for everyone that kind of stuck with us. Um, the two of, you know, we had that slide. We talked about second half keys, you know, keys down the stretch. Two of the things we mentioned was sound on fourth down and then wide receiver emerging, wide receivers plural. And we kind of saw both of those in play last night. You know, the the, the fourth down, it, it <laughs> I look at Mike Vrabel's press conference sheet afterwards and literally the first, I think, eight questions he got were about his kicking game. Yeah. It sounds like hell. It sounds like the 2019 Colts. Yep. And they're making kicks. The Titans are shanking punts and – have a guy that, you know, was working at FedEx a week ago or something like that or whatever that story is. Former Vol. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> and, and then Michael Pittman obviously stepping up. You know, it's just these are some of the things that this team has got to get to, you know, in order to be a threat in the month of January. So you wilted down the stretch on Sunday against the Ravens. The best news was – if you're going to pick a game to win out of those two, you'd rather win last night. Yep. That's and, and for you to thrive in that second-half mindset, and we'll get into some of the plays that I thought really changed things and whatnot, but um, that's that's a step in the right direction. That is, okay, you're now proving. Uh, you got to continue to prove it, but it's better than the alternative of now, okay, on the road against a quality opponent, all three facets of the game, showing up with serious game pressure, on the line there. So I know some of the analytics that I was looking at. Um, I think if the Colts would have lost yesterday, they would have had a 10% chance to win the division okay. this season. With that win, it's now 50%. You know, just true coin flip, and yep. you're going to get Tennessee at home to close out the month here. So, I mean, just think about that. A mid-November game with a 40% swing in – your divisional race. Yeah. I mean, that is monumental, especially when, again, the wild card stuff isn't really going in your favor as of now, or at least wasn't coming into Thursday night. So, uh, you know, plus 21 there in the second half. You know, that was, I think, the best uh, a team has done all year in the NFL when down at halftime. So, delivering when you needed it the most. And a tremendous job by Frank Reich and that bunch. Yeah, and a nice part for the playoff picture, like you mentioned during Beers with Bowen, a divisional win is two, killing two birds with one stone. You get a divisional win and a conference win. Right. 
Right, exactly. I mean, we, we talked about this on Wednesday night. This is the most important game of the season. Second, It's right up there. I mean, you would put this game right up there with just about anyone, and it goes back to that point I just made. I mean, a 40% difference of winning the division in, in on November 12th. I mean, that, that speaks to everything. So um, three units showing up against a quality opponent. You know, obviously a lot on the line. Frank Reich was super, super aggressive. And you want to see signs against these type of teams away from home. They haven't played a schedule, which has afforded them a whole lot of these opportunities, but they did it last night. So um, just a huge, huge win. And it it can't be understated, you know, how big that final 20 minutes was. I kind of forgot until I was driving in for morning radio today. My wife asked me, you know, when I I said goodbye to her, it was, did they win? (laughs) And I'm like, did they win? Yeah, they won by 17. And then I'm like, oh, wow, they were losing with five minutes to go in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when she, I think she maybe went to bed at halftime. But it was one of those things where, if wow, oh, yeah, this was a game the Colts were losing for the majority of it up until everything changed there late third quarter. Um, and then you just dominated the final 20 minutes like a team that has January, January aspirations and wants to win in the month of January and thinks they're capable of winning January should be capable of doing and personally for you and everyone in local media it's a late game we're recording this it's 10 15 right now a.m your night i'm sure you're up listening to press conferences writing post-game article you probably got what four to five hours sleep maybe yeah right around four yeah and yeah, so yeah. you're still in here ready to go energized because hey. that's a huge win huge huge man uh little li- little fume action here but hey we got a master's weekend <laughs> that's to get right. ready for and uh that was fun. You know, Thursday games can be clunky, can be weird. No turnovers, I believe, last night Correct. by either team. And, uh, yeah, let's get into things I like, things I don't like. Things you liked, first one, obviously the second half urgency like you mentioned in that intro. Yeah, and, and again, Chris, this was complimentary. This was all three units. I thought the play of the game, to me, two plays, and I guess one is a first-half play that I'll mention now, the back shoulder to DeMichael Harris on third and four. Final drive of the first half. You get a field goal there. You know me. Big believer in game flow and momentum. 17-10 goes to 17-13. You feel like you got something. Oh, now you get the ball to start the third quarter. And, and yeah, you didn't punch that drive in to start the third. But still, I you know, cutting it from 17-10 to 17-13, I think does a lot for your um, just psyche and morale and whatnot. And, uh, you know, Harris, that wasn't a gadget play. That wasn't a jet sweep. That was a back shoulder, yeah. big league Thursday night, you know, DeMichael Harris is probably used to playing middle of the week at Southern Miss. <laughs> that, that's a big-time play, man. And I don't think he's catching anyone off guard because even Joe Buck says, oh, here's Harris. You know, they mention it. Oh, he's on the field right. here, and it goes to him on that play. You know, got the permanent call-up we saw earlier this week. So that, that was the one play offensively that I don't think we'll see on Sports Center. but I wanted to mention. The second play is the Danico Autry sack, and that was a third-and-one, Chris, after you got stuffed on the goal line. So – Tennessee comes out, and Henry starts to get going. And they get into a short-yarded situation there on third and one. And I believe that's when Henry's getting looked out on the sideline. He's got the shoulder. And the thing about Autry, you know, he's made so many big plays for this team in his three years here and just a really great signing by Chris Ballard. But he's not the most disciplined guy. Man, was he disciplined on that play. We're talking backside contain, Tannehill, play action. Looked a little bit kind of quirky something didn't look right for Tennessee there 
but they have found success with that action against the Colts. And there's Autry right there, swallows up Tannehill. And think about the domino effect and the downhill snowball effect from there. Shank punt, go in and score. Three and out, block punt, it's 27-17. And holy cow, the game is all but over at that point. So that Autry sack to me, Chris, and the complimentary football that played off of it from there, that's second-half urgency. That's making plays when it matters. You know, this team hasn't been in a lot of super pressure-packed situations this season. They just haven't. That's just how the games have kind of developed over 60 minutes. And, man, all three facets stepping up majorly in that second half. Yeah, and another thing you liked and that you've been preaching and that we saw last night, keeping their defense on the field with up-tempo offense. Dude, I mean, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but we've been – Standing on a table for it. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was two reasons, especially for this game. And again, for those that watch Beers with Bone on Wednesday night, this was a key that I mentioned. One is just to spark your own offense. This is an offense that no one is going to sit here with a straight face and say they're one of the one of the more talented units in the NFL. Um, certainly not at quarterback and receiver. So how do you create another advantage? How do you create a spark? How do you take, okay... You know, my quarterback physically, my receivers physically might not be, you know, Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. What can we do to make sure that we're kind of dictating? And that's tempo. You know, Kevin Byard, the you know the star safety for the Titans, I thought did it. <laughs> he was very candid all week, just talking about the intelligence of Rivers. Use that. Go up tempo. Let him manage things to line of scrimmage. And if you feel like you've got a good personnel grouping. With unpredictable guys, Malali Cox, mm -hmm. he can run block, he can catch. Um, Naeem Hines, <laughs> he can run, he can catch. You should be able to do both. And I know Frank Reich is like, well, you sometimes you use, you know, no huddle and you get too one dimensional. You don't. If you trust, if you're this unpredictable with your personnel and you trust guys, you don't have to be. Just because you go no huddle doesn't mean you need to throw it ten straight plays on the drive. Correct. And I thought it was so wise for that reason to use no huddle. And then the other reason why was because Tennessee's entire defense. They played 77 defensive snaps on Sunday against the Bears. That is an extremely high number. Short week. Colts hit him with 40 plays in the first half Yeah. on Thursday night. Boom. Tempo. No huddle. Pace. You know, Great decision by Frank Reich. He said him and Nick Sirianni and Phillip discussed it earlier in the week. And really, in kind of the last 24 hours, they were like, oh, let's do this. Let's go full throttle with it. It doesn't need to be muddle huddle. Let's And no huddle, Chris, isn't necessarily like you hike it at 32 or 28 on the play clock every time. No, no, no. You can get to the line and, and you know, assess the situation. Yeah. But hands on the hips, let's go. So I thought very smart there. Um, and I just thought the offensive flow after that. I mean, think about. Think about the drives last night. Rigo doesn't punt until three minutes go in the game, mm -hmm. and that's with no turnovers. Yeah. So at that point, you had had seven drives, all seven inside of the Tennessee 30-yard line, four of the seven inside their 10-yard line. And we're talking three first downs, four first downs, four first downs. Four first downs, five first downs. It wasn't, you know, you're hitting with some fluky 60-yard chunk or something like that. No, this was a just 
we are moving the ball consistently down the football field. And, yeah, you know, if you're going to nitpick, certainly. Finishing off drives and this team in short yardage continues to be a, very head-scratching. But still, man, it was um, it was a very impressive offensive performance with, I think, tempo and the quicker pace being the catalyst with it all. Right. And just really set the tone on a short week there. So, um, yeah, j- job well done by Phillip Rivers and that unit. And a big reason that unit was able to succeed, you had two different players that had over 100 all-purpose yards each in Naheem Hines and Michael Pittman Jr. Love to see it. Welcome to the NFL, Michael Pittman Jr. This is what we hoped. Didn't see much of the 50-50 balls that we had talked about, but you could see what he can do in space and route running. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you that you bring up. You know, when he was drafted and, and you looked at kind of the, um, the uh, testing numbers, they weren't eye-popping. But for 6'4", 220, they were pretty good. This is not a stiff athlete mm-hmm. by any means. Uh, you know, Devin Funches at 6'4", 225, looks different, runs different than Michael Pittman at 6'4", 223 or whatever he is. Right. I think we brought this up when Pittman was drafted, Chris. The more I watched him at USC, the more I was like, I see a player that played defense for a large majority of his high school career. I see a guy that was a great special teams player at USC. I see the son of an NFL running back. The dude ain't soft. He runs hard, Mm -hmm. plays physical, but still is a smooth and fluid athlete enough in the open field to where you run a reverse with him for 20 yards, you give him a screen pass, and he can make a play. So seven catches over 100 yards for Michael Pittman. Um, Just great, man. Just, Just really, really good. Uh, for the rookie there, you need it. You certainly want it moving forward. Um, this is a guy that just he doesn't move timid. He, he doesn't. I thought he was showing some things before the injury a little bit more, mm-hmm. and clearly the last two weeks he's starting to come on. And then Hines, you know we we've we've talked about it, man. It's just get him in space. He needs a you know he he needs a little bit of open space to really get him going. But if you provide those chances for him, he is such a weapon for this football mm-hmm. team. Did it on the ground last night. Even some in-between-the-tackle runs Yes, yep. that I thought was a step forward that we haven't seen because he's never been a good runner of the football in the NFL. Always hovering around three yards per carry. But you get him in space, um, he just impacts the game. And it, you know, watching him, it's like, wait, how the hell did this dude get one touch in the final three quarters on Sunday? Right. Yeah, I felt like he was, when you talk about the in-between-the-tackle run, there were so many that I just felt like he was so decisive. He just knew, okay, this is where I'm going, and he went. Yeah, and I think his just quick, short area quickness helps him, you know, be decisive and then get positive yardage. And, you know, the negative runs have been such an issue for this team here in recent weeks. So, um, you know, Tom Rathman, and we talked about on Monday's podcast, that's how they kind of decide playing time. It's you know pretty much Rathman. After the 15 plays are script at the start of a game, Rathman decides, okay, who's the hot hand, and I'm going to decide who plays. And basically, Rathman went to Reich early, first quarter, and was like, Naeem looks different. Mm-hmm. He's got a fire in his eye. Frank's like, let's ride him. Yeah. And and smart. Ride him, and that's exactly what they did. So, by far the best offensive game of Heinz's career. And now it's like, all right, think about the names we've mentioned on Wednesday night with Beers with Bowen about the skill guys that I'd like to see more of moving forward. It was kind of a five-man grouping of Hines, Pittman, Allie Cox, Hilton, Harris, all of them. 
so key for this team last night. So, yeah, Hines and Pittman, certainly the standouts. All right, well, with every game, there's also things that we necessarily didn't like. The first one was the run defense last night. Yeah, and, you know, obviously this has been the biggest strength of this football team all season long. I thought with the injuries Tennessee had up front, you wouldn't see Henry have the night that he did. And, and, you know, he had over five yards per carry and had over 100 yards. I mean, if you look at his season this year, Henry has not really been that guy. So that, that, that that's just a slight disappointment on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, a little bit of losing contain, I felt like, sometimes on the edge. I thought Grover Stewart played really well in the middle and just mm-hmm. another reason why to pay him. But I thought you lost contain a little bit with Henry, and he just he can bounce things, and then he gets in the open field, he gets downhill a bit. So yeah, I'm not concerned about it moving forward, but it's just another reminder of when this team meets in a couple weeks. You know, if Tennessee can stay in phase on the scoreboard, they run it a lot more in the fourth quarter. I mean, you, you you're looking at 130, 40 yard day from Henry, and that's when it can really you know impact you win or loss. Yeah, and then the play actions off of that, obviously, like you said, Autry with that nice sack. But you look at the first play of the game. We stack the box, they bootleg it out, an easy 12-yard reception just right out of the gate, and then the A.J. Brown, the the drop pass down oh, the boy. sideline. If he catches yeah. that, who knows how that game ends up playing out yeah, that's from that good, point on. Yeah, and I think A.J. Brown only had one catch. He had that one catch early, but yeah, that, that drop was huge. And, and I think the defense just needed to, and again, they have been easily the best unit of them in the offense this mm-hmm. season. But at halftime, you know, you had given up 34 points in – back-to-back halves, you know, 17 to Baltimore, 17 to Tennessee. So it's kind of like, all right, need need a bit of a wake-up call, um, and, and and you got that. And, you know, Tennessee moved it a little bit there in the fourth quarter, but uh, couldn't punch it in. So, um, you know, the the defense showed up when you needed it. But, yeah, just a little bit of run defense mentioned that, uh, that I wanted to throw in there. And on the back half of the defense, still a little bit of undisciplined from Rockison. Yeah, we haven't seen that second-year jump that I think the Colts thought. Um, just at times a little handsy. At times you feel like he's in decent position, but then just, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't trust it right that moment of truth to go ahead and make that play and, and finish there. I thought Tennessee picked on him a little bit. He's been better in coverage this year, mm-hmm. but I thought last night was his worst game. And, and now you look at, okay, well, Kenny Moore's banged up with the rib injury. Yep. Who knows there? TJ Carey's got to play the slot, and now it's all right. You don't really have a backup, another backup outside corner. Isaiah Rogers is more of a nickel. I don't know if you'd go, you know, Carey outside. You know, and I don't necessarily think Rocky Seen should be benched, but it's just cornerback depth will be tested against Green Bay, certainly. Absolutely. Um, so for this defense, you know, it's it, it's wild how the schedule's playing out. I think Green Bay, and I might have this wrong. Along with Tennessee, I think Green Bay and Tennessee will be the only top 10 offenses this team will face all year. Pittsburgh is really low in offensive ranking, which I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, So it's kind of like you're looking for great tests, and it's like, boy, it's just hard to really see it. Mm -hmm. Um, But but definitely, I mean, Green Bay, and, and that's now like the new test of the traditional run game you saw last night. There you go. Baltimore on Sunday, very unique run game. There you go. Now you're going to throw Green Bay into it. We're starting to get this January picture painted a little bit clearer for this football team. So, yeah, need uh, need better from Rock a week from Sunday. Yeah, because you know Rodgers is watching that game film. He's not going to miss that. No, 
No, no, no, not at all. All right, well, let's jump into some Twitter questions, shall we? Yes, let's do it. This one's from Craig. Do you think Reich will consistently start to feed Hines, Harris, and Pittman more going forward? They seem to be the playmakers who can change the game for the Colts. Both times Hines scored twice in a game they have been blowouts. And shout out to Rex Becks, whose kicks never deviated from the middle of the uprights all night. What a change from last season. Man, 12 straight made field goals for Hot Rod. You know, we know he had a couple issues in Detroit with those extra points, but... Colts fans will not apologize for uh, the Titans' fourth down play last night. Yeah, you know, the, the Colts are going to spread it, but as we talked about on Beers with Bowen, those, you know, Hines and Pittman, those are some of the five names that we that we talked about. You know, over the course of the season, guys emerge. You know, the starters, the guys you trusted in September, October, they evolve, they develop, injuries happen, young guys take steps forward, young guys hit rookie, rookie walls, all those things. Hines and Pittman. And, and, you know, Harris in the mix. I know he wasn't heavily targeted, didn't play a whole lot. But still, you know, him showing me another step forward, I'm like, wow. Um, those are the guys that, that need to be involved. Yeah. Uh, yesterday's special teams uh, play was, I think, payback from the last time we saw Jeez. Titans. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, I know. The block, yeah. Block field goal. Yeah. I mean, if you're Vrabel, you call Vinatieri? I don't think so. Do you? I mean, Goskowski's missed what eight inside? I don't know. It's so weird though. If you if you get to the fifty yard mark, Goskowski makes it right inside the. Right. It's such like a weird mental block, maybe. I don't and that know. was a big miss. I mean, he makes that. It's still a one possession game, right. and and yeah, that was a huge miss there late. So, gosh, I'm so glad we don't have to talk about kicking issues anymore. I think Greg Doyle tweeted something along the lines of, "And 14 years later, Goskowski fills in for Vinatieri again, or something like that." Yeah, that would be <laughs> hilarious. All right, Colin wants to know, would you agree that the Colts need at least one more win within the next two games to be a playoff contender? One more win in the next... Um, yeah, you know, I, I I, think so. You know, I, having said that, Colin, you know, I also think home field can really change a lot of things. You know, if you win your division... <clears throat> excuse me. If you win... I need some water. Oh, good. <laughs> You got him choked up, Colin. I know, man. Tiger had, <laughs> had me choked up yesterday. You know, I, I I really think home field can change some things. And I know Green Bay is different. Like I said, all three of these games are are different. So, yeah, you you, you certainly want to see a little bit more. Um, you know, two and two in this four-game stretch was so huge, especially if you can beat Tennessee mm-hmm. in, the, in those games. But, you know, what I saw in the final 20 minutes yesterday – is just much more indicative of a team that can win in the month of January. Um, do you need to see more signs to really get you confident? Yeah, but that was a huge step. You know, you didn't see that Sunday when the game really mattered. You should have been the more desperate team last night, and I felt like you were the more desperate. I, it, it was interesting to see the Colts favored at, at kickoff. Right. I was surprised by that, but obviously Vegas knew knew something there. All right, this one's from Jordy. Has the Colts' run game turned the corner? Over 100 yards from the backs, if you throw in Pittman's run, it was over 130 yards of rushing. Solid blocking, and while Taylor's 1.7 yards per carry looks bad on paper, he had some key short short yard conversions. So what say you, Kevin? Is the run game uh, coming up on top, or is this a one-off? Thanks for the great pod. 
one of my favorite Colts podcasts. Oh, I love it, Jordy. Thank you for that. Um, I, I would say the in-between the tackle run game still is not where you want it to be. You know, Pittman, the 21-yarder on the on the reverse, DeMichael Harris last week, I mean, those can kind of skew some yards per carry things. Um, and, and still, you had some struggles in short yardage last I mean, the blocking in short yardage, it's incredible. You know, all the draft capital, and, and, and your tight ends aren't helping you either in that area, but, I mean, you just got whipped several times in short yardage against a defense that has struggled this season. So, you know, a little bit better, but, you know, still, it's not where you need to be in the month of January. Jason wants to know, if Hines is actually being used, is he wide receiver number one for the Colts? Um, I mean, maybe with targets, you know, he's the most target, but no, I mean, he's not wide receiver number one. You know, he... It, I mean, has Hines ever really run much of a route tree that is the depth of his routes are further than five or six yards? Yeah, mm-hmm. he's got the go stuff or the you know, stop and go stuff, but you know, he's not running stuff down the middle of the field. So, no, it's uh, you know, that's got to be Pittman or 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 Hilton or you know somebody like that. But uh, Hines, from a target standpoint, you know, I mean, Chris, he's gotten to the point now where if he doesn't have ten to twelve targets a game, touches a game, I should say, something's wrong. He is, this, like I've said before, he's kind of like the Sproles of the old L.A. or L.A. Chargers. Wow, I'm, I've, already, <laughs> I've already been programmed to say L.A. Dial Chargers. Back. The old San Diego Chargers with Rivers. Yes, agreed. All right, this one's from Cameron. Nine games in, is it fair to say this defense is elite? Boy, man, it's um, it, it's starting to show more and more of that. You know, I, I've said on this podcast several times, I thought they'd finish the year kind of more in that 10 range, but they continue to have performances that, that make me think, it, it can be a top five, whatever unit you want to call it at the end of the year. And, and yeah, like I mentioned earlier, you won't play, you know, really a whole lot of elite offenses. This year, a lot of the elite offenses are in the NFC. There's not many. I want to say the Chiefs and like the Chargers actually have some good offensive numbers. Um, those are really the only ones in the AFC. So yeah, it is something to where you 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 look at how they responded to close out that game and how that D line is playing. Mm-hmm. Man, I mean, DeForest Buckner, what, three quarterback hits, I think it was, last night? He yeah. just seems like he's just a fraction of, of a second away from having, like, six more sacks yep. or something like that this season. Um, Justin Houston had a big rush after kind of having a quiet last month as well. You know, we'll see what Kamoko Turi does, you know, seemingly if he can get back against the Packers. So, and nine games in, they have been elite. You know, the schedule you face, they have been there. And... um Man, you'd love to see him prove it again because if they can down these final seven games against some different looks, Green Bay and, and even Pittsburgh, I know their numbers might not indicate it, but they're still a different look. Um, if you can continue to prove it, now that starts to shift some of my thinking about the postseason. Yeah, and what I enjoyed about the quarterback hits last night, even though they're not as many sacks as you'd like to see, as long as you're getting back there and putting that seed in the back of the quarterback's head that he's got to release it or make a decision quickly, I'll take that. Yeah, oh, and I mean, Tannehill looked battered and bruised, man. Yeah. I think when they took him out late, it was just like, I mean, guys, he's getting drilled. Like, we aren't coming back. There's mm-hmm. no reason to put him back out there. So, yeah. Yeah, and there were some big hits on Tannehill last night. All right, from one Kevin to another, do you think this was a breakout game for Pittman? His route running looked sharp and his hands looked great, even in traffic. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, that was. <laughs> when was the last time a Colts rookie has had that type of game at the receiver position? 
a while. I mean, not Campbell. Off the top of my head, yeah. Dorsett, no. I mean, really, I remember Moncrief had a couple hundred yard games in that rookie seat. I mean, you got to go back quite a ways. So, you know, he is um, he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. And I just love how he plays the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, the, the Michael Pittman Sr. rubs off on him and how he plays and attacks the game. He just looks more confident out there catching the football. And, you know, mental, physical, you know, we talked about after the game, how it's taken a little bit just to get back to that for him health-wise. But, yeah, job job well done for, uh, for number 11. This question comes from Drew. Would you consider Rock to be in the same category as TJ Green and Quincy Wilson? Oh. Very talented, but is a liability on defense due to poor decisions. Also, what are your thoughts on Rivers staring down both Burton and Cox in the third quarter, missing opportunities for go-ahead touchdowns? Yeah, yeah, man, we're kind of nitpicking there a little bit. I Aikman, I know, pointed out the Alley Cox play. I mean, Malcolm Butler was still pretty close there. I don't, I, I don't know if that was as open as he thought it was, and I. I mean, Rivers, 75%, nearly eight yards per pass attempt. Every single drive gets to at least to the 30-yard line of drives that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, come on, I can't, you know, I can't be that overly critical with with his play. Um, boy, Rocky's seen TJ Green, Quincy Wilson. That'll make you spit up your <laughs> yeah. coffee this morning. Jeez. Uh, no, no, I can't go there, you know. T.J. Green and Quincy Wilson, Chris, they, they had a little bit of uh, off-the-turf you know, concerns that I think the Colts were worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Green, Orion Grigson draft pick. Wilson, a Chris Ballard draft pick there. But, uh, I mean, they absolutely gush about Rock off the field and everything he stands for and work ethic and whatnot. So, um yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like poor decisions from Rock. It's not like he's late hitting a bunch of people. I just think it's a little bit of failing of the technique at times, a little bit grabby. And, um, yeah, ultimately a corner you get exposed when mm-hmm. you're not perfect like that. It's just life. I mean, hell, Xavier Rhodes had a great season, and if A.J. Brown catches that ball, he's getting roasted for getting burnt on that play. So part of that's just kind of life at corner. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't go there <laughs> yet with Rock. Patrick asks, I know Reich likes to go for it on fourth downs, but early in the games, is it not better to just take the three points and keep getting points? I know touchdowns are important, but I feel like we are just missing out on points by doing this. You know, it's such a fine debate here with this. You know, when you when you get it, you look like a genius. When you don't, you get ripped. Or they, I think they were three of five on fourth down. I think that's right. Yep. Um, I thought for how good they were on first down, Last night, it was disappointing to see how poor they were on third down. Yes. You know, you shouldn't have to get into a lot of those situations, but they did. Um, I thought he'd trust his defense a little bit more and kick some of those field goals. So, man, Hot Rod's like, geez, am I ever going to kick one from 48 or 52 (laughs) or something like that? So, you know, against teams like Kansas City, I get the aggression, you know, or whatever. Pittsburgh or teams you feel like a little bit more of a shootout. I thought Tennessee, maybe you would settle for a few of those field goals. So, you know, Frank Reich is certainly a man of his word, and I do think you put some pressure on opposing defenses to be like, guys, it's not three and out with him. It is four and out yeah. to get off the field. I do think there's something with that. And, you know, obviously there's a fine line um, between doing that too much. I just think what's disappointing now is what you would think you could trust the most, short yardage running, you can't. And right. 
if Philip Rivers isn't going to run QB sneaks, which he doesn't, which is just weird, Jacoby Brissett honestly should be in the game on third and one, fourth and one. I know that might sound crazy that it's coming out of my mouth, but seriously, it's something I wrote down. I think, I don't know, I think it was after the third, um, that first third quarter drive and they got stuffed on the goal line. It's like you've got Kelly, you've got Nelson, some push behind them. Brissett has been successful with those QB sneaks, yeah. you know, even when he started. So, yeah, that's something that I think you got to tap into. Yeah, and I think to your point about third downs, typically this year we've seen him third and five, third and six. So yesterday seeing him third and one, third and right. two constantly. Okay, well, if I don't make it on this one, like you said, up front, I trust my guys enough, then we're going for it on fourth. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the short yardage issue is probably the you know biggest worry coming out of yesterday. All right, this is from Conroy. In what order would you rank our current healthy running backs? Every one of them seems to have a knack for something. Who is running back one, two, and three? And does Brissett make it running back four? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe DeMichael Harris or Mike, Michael Pittman is running back four. Um, you know, I, I'd probably go more off percentage of touches, Chris, than like RB1, RB2, RB3, because, you know, they do have a knack for something a little bit different. So, I'd say right now with percentage of touches, I would go Hines, Taylor, Wilkins. Now, I mentioned Hines in the 10 to 12 touch range. I'd like to see Taylor pretty close to that as well. Uh, I know he didn't run it great yesterday, but, I mean, you just saw him in the open field on that screen. I mean, that was poor Monty Hooker. I mean, the his family. I mean, to watch <laughs> poor Monty get hurt like that or hit like that when Jonathan Taylor's running over him. Yeah. That, that's what, you know, we saw that first play of the Cincinnati game. Right mm-hmm. before Doyle fumbles, Taylor's making a play. Week one in Jacksonville, you saw more of the speed in that play as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's something to where um, you really need to heavily get to Hines and Taylor and maybe more of a sprinkling of, uh, of Wilkins. All right, this one. Do you think we should start using Hines in more of a Philip Lindsay role, more of a feature back? And I'm convinced receiver 12 has inherited the Holy Ghost of Andrew Luck. We should try this kid at quarterback. What are your thoughts? You know, I don't know about featured back for Naeem Hines. Um, I think he played, let's see, it was 34 snaps. Um, 39 of 70. So what's that? That's a little bit over 50%. Mm-hmm. Taylor played 17. Wilkins played 14. Yeah, I mean, I, I think right around, you know, a little over half is good for Hines. Hey, you know, move him around. Try to get a linebacker on him. Try to get him, you know, in in space, in motion. You know, they haven't been a huge motion team yeah. with Hines this season. You know, can you run some Wildcat stuff? That, that That's another thing in short yardage um, that I felt like they didn't go to last night of like, okay, you put Burton back there, it's at least two threats in the backfield. Yeah. That could have helped you out as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Philip Lindsay, I'm not going to lie, I don't know if I watch a whole lot of Denver Bronco football, but 10 to 12 touches. That's That should be the minimum. All right, Suarez says Pagano was a defensive guy, but not really, didn't really have an elite defense here. Reich is an offensive guy, but hasn't had an elite offense. Is it time to start blaming Ursay for his inability to hire a GM that can provide a head coach with the players he needs so that they can play to their strong suit? Um, I 
guess, I, well, uh, that's that's interesting. You know, I thought, you know, Pagano and Grigson, for us, for people out there that just blame Grigson for that era kind of folding up at the end is, is ludicrous. I don't think um, Pagano did a whole lot either there. Um, and, I mean, I did think the Colts' offense in 2018 was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Frank's first year, once you got that offensive line figured out, got the run game going, Andrew, obviously, helping a whole lot of quarterback. Yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, I guess, a, I mean, Ursay inability to hire a GM that can provide the head coach of the players he needs so that they can play to their strong suit. You know, maybe a little bit of that. I do think there's a lot of collaborative uh, effort on some of these personnel decisions, you know, especially Phillip Rivers being your quarterback this season, right? being that as well. So, yeah, Suarez, I, I, I don't know if I'm not, you know, if I'm ready to go full there. And, and it's also kind of twofold. You know, some of it thinks, and I know, you know, the whole Grigson era, he felt like, you know, you can kind of scheme up having a good O-line in the interior and, you know, you can have more of a quick rhythm passing game to try and hide maybe deficiencies or lack of resources you have in your O-line. And we saw how rebuilt the defense was here in Indianapolis when Chris Ballard took over. So part of it's like, well, if I really trust the coach on the other side of the ball, shouldn't I commit resources mm-hmm. to the other group Yeah, to try and make up for it? So I don't know. That's kind of a tough one for us. And you got to remember between the injuries this year and the abrupt retirement of Andrew Luck last year, I think Frank Reich's done a pretty good job with this offense in terms of record. Yeah, and I and I, I I'm not in the and I certainly saw the mentions in the first half. I'm not as like, you know, fire and brimstone, Frank Reich's feet to the fire offensive mind as, you know, some other people have been. I just, you know, it hasn't been great here in 2020, but I don't I don't think it's been as bad as people also mm-hmm. make it out to be. All right, from JJ, in previous seasons, you said that Reich was an offensive weapon. Do you still agree in 2020? To me, it's not innovative. He play, His plays calls counter to the logic that shows he's not predictable. I mean, JJ, there's been some head scratchers for sure, but, I mean, last night, I love the tempo decision. I love the usage of, of Heinz and Pittman, and... Um, I, I still think Reich is a better than average offensive mind. I'm I'm not going to waver from that, um, unless you know things really get ugly. But I think the sample size that we've seen so far this year, and throughout his three years, I think would indicate that he ha- that he is a a pretty good offensive mind. There are some things that I haven't agreed with this year, but um, last night was good, man. I mean, to use that tempo like they did, it it. it that was, I think, the difference for this offense. Get the spread. How much, how much, how much shotgun? How much empty set? How much one back set yeah. did we see? I thought that was really wise, and and, and Philip thrived in it. And honestly, it's something that I I want to see become more of a constant. I do too. You know, it's I, I get it. It can be opponent specific and stuff, but you know, if you're not having that sprinkled into your game plan, I don't think you're using your offensive strengths enough. And I felt like a lot of times on those short down conversions, they did better spreading the offense out rather than being in a bunch set. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. You know, yeah, and, and there were some stuffs in the run game, but I think when you you know, when you go shotgun with Rivers and short yardage, it at least is a okay, we might throw it out of this. You know, when you go short yardage with Brissett under center, then it's he could QB sneak it or he could turn around mm-hmm. and and run it. So yeah, I think that is something that, man, it just, you want to see a little bit better play up front in the short yardage. Yeah. And, 
and tight ends get thrown. Tungy I eighty six. He can't block anybody. You know he's, and I feel like that's where you missed Doyle a little bit last night. Mitchell says, I think no matter how the season ends, all Colts fans would be happy trading picks to grab Justin Fields or Trey Lance, and I really even like Zach Wilson. He asked, I think it's time for us to find the next young quarterback. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, listeners of this podcast know how how I feel. I guess I'm kind of curious, Mitchell. I mean, or, or fans in general, where do they stand on the I'm ready to trade some draft picks for a future quarterback? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's off-season stuff. That's a poll I can do, you know. Come twenty twenty one, but I, I I don't know, Chris. You you have a gauge too. I do you get the feeling that it's probably more of a chunk of the fan base that would be willing to do that? I think at this point in the NFL the blueprint is clear that you have to have a young quarterback under a friendly contract to build around and win. And right now when you're paying two quarterbacks the amount of money that we're paying them, if you can get rid of that, hopefully use that to put positions elsewhere and get a young quarterback then I'm okay with trading picks, but you have to have a solid game plan because if you're Chris Ballard, by the time that quarterback gets to where you hope he can be, it might be too late for you. Yeah, and, you know, drafting, we, we talked about it last week. I mean, you got to draft like the Ravens. You know, if you're going to start winning, you got to hit on these later-round picks. So, um, yeah, good work by uh, – that's a, that's a good question, Mitchell. This is from Stan. He says, in my opinion, these positions require a first-round stud talent in the next few years. Quarterback, left tackle, and wide receiver. Let's say the Colts naturally fall in the draft to the range of 16 to 24 during the next three to five years. Factoring in possible draft capital to move up, what years do you address each of these positions? Boy, Stan asked good ones, man. Um, Okay. You know, I'm team quarterback in April. Yep. You know, you got to obviously hope Costanzo plays out this contract. Having said that, let's say you give up your 2022 first rounder mm-hmm. and your 2021 third rounder to move up in this year's draft. That leaves you your second rounder still this April. So if I'm going QB round one, I'm probably coming back and going left tackle round two. Yeah, I would agree with that. And develop. You know, I think this league has shown that receivers are starting to be – that's the crazy in college football. Spread, spread, spread. So many more receivers get drafted. So many more wideouts get drafted early. I feel better about me finding a receiver in the middle-ish rounds than I do a left tackle to develop. Um. So then I guess I'd come back and go, you know, wide receiver, you know, middle-ish rounds still next year but then certainly drafted early in 2022 and just see how things unfold. I mean the whole the 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 whole Paris Campbell thing is such a such an unknown. Yeah. I mean if for some reason these injuries can be flukish and all of a sudden he starts to stay healthy, which might sound like a ludicrous statement by me, you know, maybe that really lessens how big the wideout need is, but I still think it's pretty important and especially when you start to think, okay, you're pairing a rookie quarterback moving forward with a new wideout group, things like that. So, Stan, just awesome question per usual. Hope all is well, brother. This one's from Jason. Not that anyone but me has probably noticed, but any idea why Jacoby doesn't celebrate with the defense this year like he did in 2018? Wow. Um. Yeah, that's a good – 
COVID? I, I don't, I have no idea. That just seems to be my cop-out answer for anything in 2020. I, I, I really have no idea. I did find it, you know, funny slash sad that, you know, that they celebrated the Okariki, or it was Buckner forcing the fumble against the Ravens. Leonard, you know, picks it up, then coughs it up. Okariki mm-hmm. ends up with it. They sprint down the whole field to go celebrate it, and Rivers throws a pick two plays later, and now they're back on the field. Right. It's like, oh, boy, do you have enough oxygen masks to get all these guys, you know, back and feeling good? So, yeah, I don't uh, – Jason, I, I, I can't say I know that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a more of a mandate. I don't – who knows? Joshua wants to know your thoughts on if the Colts should sign Kane off the Steelers' practice squad. Would prefer him to Reese Fountain? Oh, boy, I definitely agree on that. I prefer Deion Kane to Reese Fountain for sure. You know, and again, you guys know that I thought bailing on Deion Kane was odd to me and wasn't necessary. Yeah, I, sure, I can't imagine that would happen. Uh, Kane agreeing to it slash the Colts, um, you know, going back down that, that road. I mean, Pittsburgh, honestly, Chris, I don't they got to have probably the deepest wideout group in the league. They spread that ball around. They I mean, really do. Just when you think Juju's quiet, he does what he's done the last couple of weeks. Deontay mm-hmm. Johnson and I think James Washington and obviously our guy, my guy, Chase Claypool, I probably should say, not to throw you into the Notre Dame group because <laughs> I know you don't want to be in that group. Um, so, yeah. All right, Evan has a scenario for you. These are always fun. Phillip Rivers retires. Jacoby walks. Jacob Eason gets no vote of confidence from Ballard and Reich, and the Colts are unable to snag a top guy in the draft. In his opinion, those guys are Lawrence, Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, and maybe Kyle Trask. What are the likely options for the Colts' next quarterback, and which option is best? Hmm. <laughs> you know, Evan, I, I will say missing on six quarterbacks that you just mentioned would be a bummer. Yeah. You know, what, what? what's the group? I'd have to take a closer look at it, but, I mean, we're talking all the one-year deal guys. So, Cam, Winston, Dalton, uh, Dak, obviously not one-year deal, but he would be on the open market. Trubisky, I think, is also in a contract year. I mean, it's that's not a very Rosen. pretty group to me. Huh? Rosen, is he? Yeah, I, ugh, yeah <laughs> no, definitely not. Um yeah, I, I don't – I mean, the Darnold-Wentz stuff, I don't love that. I know we talked about it a little bit on Wednesday. I'd probably take Wentz over Darnold, but mm-hmm. certainly you worry about injury history. Yeah, man, I don't I don't love – I don't love your scenario, Evan. It's a very fair question, and you know I love scenarios. Um, I'll say this. I'd be stunned if Phillip Rivers re- retired from the game of football. Stunned. Cold wants to know, is there a better chance – I got to answer that, don't I? You do. I mean, but like you said, that's a lot of quarterbacks that we would pass up on. I'll say Wentz, but, man, I don't – yeah, I'll say <laughs> Wentz. Colton asks, is there a better chance we draft a wide receiver or a quarterback in the first round? Well, Colton, I mean, your odds would say wide out, but, you know, to me, quarterback is so needed. It'd be kind of crazy, Chris, though, if you drafted a wide out in round one. That's three straight years you've taken a wide out in the first two rounds. Yeah. I can't imagine many teams in the NFL have done that. But just based off sheer numbers and how weird quarterback play is, honestly, if you were in Vegas, it's probably better odds that you draft a wideout. Okay, Kevin. Blaze has you being the Colts general manager. God, pray for the Colts fans. You're about to lose Eberflus to a 2021 head coaching gig elsewhere. You have two choices at season's end. 
keep Reich and find a new defensive coordinator or promote Eberflus to head coach and fire Reich and his offensive staff. Choose one. Oh, wow. That's wow. That's fascinating. Two choices. Keep Reich and find a new defensive coordinator or promote Eberflus to head coach and fire Reich. Well, well, first, I will say this. Is Eberflus definitely gone? You know, this gets back to what we've talked about before. The trend of owners and how they're hiring. Mm-hmm. You know, Zach Taylor and Cliff Kingsbury are getting jobs before the best defensive coordinators are in the NFL. So, um, and I also think it seems like, and maybe I'm missing another defensive coordinator, but homeboy from San Francisco. I know they're struggling this year, more injury related. But Robert Saleh, you know, he's he interviewed I think for several head coaching openings. Is he higher on the defensive rung right now than Eberflus? Mm-hmm. Um, is Leslie Frazier higher? You know, another guy that you know is interviewed for some openings as well. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, but as far as your scenario, I'm, I'm keeping Reich uh, probably 100%. I'm a big believer, again, in the offensive snap uh, – excuse me, offensive staff needs to be maintained more because, you know, this isn't a crazy exotic defense. I, I think I could find a Tampa 2 heavy background that could maintain this system and, you know, hopefully preach the same principles that Eberflus is, is preaching. But – um. Yeah, you got to keep the offensive staff in place. Because you know, if you promote Sirianni to play caller, well, then what happens when Sirianni leaves in 2022 if you have a great season? Uh-huh. Now you're scrambling to find a new offense and things like that. So, yeah, keeping right. Hell, on top of those uh, lists and examples that you gave, look at Adam Gase. You go from Miami where you didn't do anything to getting the job as the Jets head coach. Why? Because you're an offensive guy? I that's mean, just that's how the league is. It's yeah, it's just this is how the league is, man. If you, uh, yeah, you know what's what was the old joke? If you got Sean McVay's coffee, you're gonna get a head coaching yeah, interview, right? All right, this one's from Niles. At this point, would you rather have Buckner, Pittman, and a future mid round pick, or Justin Herbert, thirteenth, fourteenth, and a 2021 pick could have gotten us up to the fifth or sixth to get Tua or Herbert? I love this defense, but more this season plays out the more I think the Colts should have taken their shot for a quarterback. Oh, Niles. This is, I mean, this is the debate. <laughs> this is the whole 2020 debate. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm I, in the minority, but I, I probably would rather have Herbert. You know, I'd just take, take a chance on a quarterback. You know, yes, the receiver position right now would look a lot different. You wouldn't have to force Buckner, obviously, on your defense. Um, God, you hope and pray Tyquan Lewis could play the three technique mm-hmm. at an effective level, but I just think quarterback means that much to an NFL franchise. This is tough. It's it's not as – and this is with Herbert playing pretty well early yeah. on. It's not as crystal clear as I think it would normally be for someone that kind of has my thinking on quarterback. And I also like Pittman, and you guys know that too. Matthew says that Jonathan Taylor makes a mistake after playing pretty well to start the game and never returns. He asks, when does Reich start to hold Rivers accountable for his interception and shit throws that are constantly behind receivers? <laughs> yeah, I think some of these questions we maybe had before the old Thursday nighter. Um, you know, Matthew, it's just not as easy just to be taking quarterbacks out after one play. And what have we said? Roller coaster, folks. Mm-hmm. Fun ride last night. Real fun ride. I don't. I don't even think Rivers had any craziness last night. Really, no. I can't recall too many wild balls or just. Yeah, I. 
But the whole accountability is is, is interesting. And, and playing time with position coaches is interesting. We've talked about that. And that is something that I don't think is on a very level playing field with the staff. Yeah, and no, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. He takes that sack at the end of the right. half where, yes, time was winding down. We didn't have a timeout, unfortunately. But thank God he didn't just throw it into the end zone and then they pick it off and momentum's gone. Man, that's a great point. I, yeah, that, that sack. <laughs> Jeez. That was a huge play. This one's from Steven. Do you think we're going to get a, get on a losing streak like we did last year? I know this team is better, but last year we had an easy schedule during the losing streak with Miami, the Steelers without Big Ben, Titans, etc. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, the schedule is certainly much, much tougher. You know, it, it, And the schedule probably worries me more than anything, Steven, to be honest with you, just about how things unfold. And, we, and we've talked about this, you know. Houston and... and Houston, really, I guess, because you play him twice. That's not your normal pushover. I'm curious how the whole COVID aspect will affect some of these teams late in the season. You know, I know you're earning your paycheck and you're, you know, you're interviewing for 31 other NFL teams when you go out there and play. But you know, do we start to see a little bit of business decisions? You know, maybe from some of these teams late in the year. Um, I I don't see a massive losing streak. I mean, hell, <coughs> didn't I say a four game win streak on beer, beers with Bowen? Mm-hmm. And that's the one you kind of questioned. You said, ah, the four-game win streak is something that I might look back at. But, yeah, you had a four-game win streak. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't see anything too too bad. All right, Kevin, this one is from Casey. Who did you have to pay off to get the Colts Thursday night game the same week as the Masters? I mean, sir, I mean, what does Roger Goodell need? You know, he, <laughs> $40 million, I think, is a contract, so probably not a whole lot. But, Roger, I don't – maybe some M&Ms. I think you ate all those during the draft. I, I don't <laughs> – Whatever you need, I am. I am so freaking happy. It's a great weekend for you. That I got the Masters, no job obligations, Notre Dame at three thirty tomorrow. Wonderful and hey, I, I I was on heavy leave du- leaf duty last week. I'm good, man. You're good to go. You got the chores out of the way. Oh, I'm no good. work got, obligations, like you said. I got Rosie's Masters, Tiger, and Notre Dame outfits ready to go. We are we are set. Twenty twenty is looking up in the yeah, Bowen it household. Is. It is. All right, this is from Mac. Hey Kevin, it seems like an Achilles heel for our defense is allowing the ten to fourteen yard curl routes into the zone, pretty much middle of the field completions after usually stuffing the first and second down. Just easy completions right in the middle of the field, behind the linebackers, and I know that boils the blood of a lot of Colts fans. How do we take away that? Yeah, I think this is maybe more in reference to Lamar Jackson, that quick rhythm passing game we saw from them on Sunday. And we talked about that on Monday's podcast. Jackson going 10 for 10 in the second half was just inexcusable. Um, and this this is kind of a trend we've seen, you know, under the Matt Eberflus defense. I just think it's so important that that first level – Anticipate and more aggressive when the ball is in the air, whatever. Anticipating routes, knowing down and distance, knowing quarterback drops and their rhythm. Okariki, great job last night late in the game on that third down. I think it was Fisker maybe or Johnny Smith. He had a pass deflection on. Xavier Rhodes did at one time with A.J. Brown. Just, again, anticipate and don't let just the amount of green grass. You know, Tennessee did a nice job last night. Early on, getting the Colts in base defense, mm-hmm. Anthony Walker on the field, kind of exposing them a little bit there. Um, but again, the Colts, I thought were much better there last night. All right, Kevin, this is from Obi-Wan Jacoby. Great Twitter name. Great Twitter name. 
says, is there anything that would constitute any of our offensive coaches to be on the hot seat this season? Strausser isn't producing near the production Googe did, and with so many past, ga- past game guys on staff, why do we struggle to develop players and get results? Yeah, you know, I, I actually think Obi-Wan makes some decent points here. You know, Tom Manning, the tight ends coach, left on his own. He went back to go to Iowa State to be their offensive coordinator. Um, but, yeah, the, the pass game changing, you know, they brought in Mike Grow. They created this new pass game specialist for Kevin Petulo and some strides, but maybe not as much as you would like to see. And, and, and I am still probably more team personnel needs tweaks than team coaching staff. Um, and, you know, there are players like Michael Harris that have developed a little bit. And, you know, so I, I'm not going to totally say you haven't had major development. I think Campbell, it's been more injuries really than anything. You know, Pittman obviously has made some strides here, which you expected given Pittman's college resume. You expected him to produce for you mm-hmm. very early on. But yeah, the whole O line thing, the whole Strasser—it's you got. So, I mean, does that group just forget how to block? You know, it's just um, that 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 is one that I'd probably look into a little bit more. All right, well, that does it for Twitter questions from this episode of the podcast. I got one here. Uh, okay. James snuck this in. Kevin, longtime listener of the show from Ireland, couple yeah. Ireland, yeah, Irish listeners for us. Sorry, Notre Dame was not playing over there this year against Navy. I love the content. Appreciate all your work. After seeing how good Pittman could be last night, why do you think the Colts don't target him more in the red zone? In general, the Colts seem very vanilla in that area of the field, rarely throwing the ball in the end zone. And, uh, yeah, that pretty much summarizes the question. Yeah, I will, I think that's kind of the next step with Pittman. We did see him. I think he got targeted on an, two kind of underneath-ish yep. routes in the red zone. One he went out of bounds on. One, I think the other one he got laid out on. I think that was the one that, I don't know, maybe got the wind knocked out of him. Seemed fine after the game on the Zoom. But, uh. Yeah, I think that's kind of the next step of, like you mentioned earlier, Chris, the 50-50 jump balls. Yeah. That isn't something we've seen yet from him. And, I mean, I would say what we saw from Michael Pittman last night is probably one of the more encouraging individual performances I've seen all year from the Colts, especially offensively. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something it's like, man, bottle it, bottle it. Yeah, and you mentioned his physicality and his dad being a running back. Even the way he falls forward after getting hit, he just likes the contact, and he gets you extra yards and – you can't say enough about that. And one last note, T.Y. Hilton matters. T.Y. Hilton matters. Yes, he does. Um, What, four, I think right around four, like, 10-yard catches, pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. Just solid. A couple yards after catch, which is not something he usually does a whole lot. He he matters and needs to be on the football field. And so uh, the 1-10 record when he's not playing, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was good yeah. to see them get him in the mix early in that ball yeah, game. Yeah, he was. He was. All right, man, I think that uh, that wraps it up. All right, well, Kevin, I hope you enjoy your Masters weekend. Notre Dame hopefully pulls out another big one for you and continues to roll. Are your Vols playing, or are they canceled? The They're not. The you know, the whole SEC, they decided to get Corona this week, another bye week for Tennessee, another week I don't have to worry about them losing. So <laughs> it is what it is. God, if there's a more fandom comment, you probably won't hear it. <laughs> uh, again, thank you to everybody who listened to uh, and watched Beers with Bo, and that's archived on YouTube if you missed it on Wednesday. Uh, thanks to our friends at Franciscan Health for sponsoring that as well. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. No Monday podcast. We'll be back Wednesday with a preview of the Green Bay Packers. Everybody have a great weekend. Go Tiger.